Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. It's so beautiful today. Um, I'm Amber Severin. I'm one of the volunteers here at C2K Sudden Valley, and it's always a gift, an honor, and a privilege to come up on this platform and get the opportunity to speak. Um, I woke up this morning in Sudden Valley. We live part of our life in Tacoma right now for a few more months until we move back permanently to Sudden Valley in June, which we're excited about. Um, but I woke up this morning and I remember every time I stay here, I'm like, oh, what I love about Sudden Valley is waking up to the sound of the birds. And they are so active right now. It's amazing. In Tacoma, I'm sure there are birds. I just don't hear them as often where we live. But we live on this boardwalk near Point Reston out in Tacoma. And um, this last Thursday, my daughter Vesper wanted to go roller skating. She's got these cool gold roller skates, so she wanted to go skating. And she, um, she goes, Mom, let's go for a walk. So we went along the boardwalk, and we passed the playground. And there was this little girl talking to her mom and saying, Mom, I realize that there are fish in the ocean, but I didn't realize there were actually whales out here. And Vesper and I looked at each other, and we're like, what? And then we looked out, and sure enough, there was a pod of whales going um, along the boardwalk. And so we spent about 30 minutes chasing the whales, and I've got my dog pulling me, and I'm trying to video, and Vesper's roller skating, and it was so fun and beautiful. And it just reminded me, anytime you get moments like that out in nature to see creation in that way, how amazing God's creation really is. It was very special. But I feel that way in Sudden Valley when I get to wake up to the birds as well. Um, we are in a new series. It's exciting. Um, our new series is titled, There is One. Um, today we're going to be focused on scripture from the book of Ephesians. Um, we're learning about the church in Ephesus. Um, we were, you know, we just kind of went through this First Timothy series where we were learning about the church in Ephesus. Jason transitioned us last week out of First Timothy and introduced this new series that is going to take us into Easter and then beyond Easter. The major themes and metaphors in the book of Ephesians, um, it includes this encouragement about what it means to be in oneness or in unity with God and with one another as the body of Christ. In Paul's lifetime, this concept of Christian unity was very focused on um, uniting Jews and non-Jews, or Jews and Gentiles. And I think in today, um, you know, today's world, we can relate to that so much in that we're really moving and hoping for um, a wholeness in God where we don't have these insiders and these outsiders, but that we all can have this oneness with each other. Paul's strong encouragement to work towards unity and love encouraged believers to overcome this animosity, these cultural barriers, um, on the basis of Jesus' life given on the cross to provide for all believer, believers a union with God, creating one family, the body of Christ. So this unity rooted in the love and the grace given to us by Jesus is really the foundational center from which our new teaching series develops out of. And sometimes, you know, I'll look at words like unity, and I think we all have these moments with certain words where we'll kind of hear the word unity, but kind of let it roll off of us. Like, what does it mean? Or maybe we've got triggers or barriers or walls with certain church words or certain Christian words. And I really have challenged myself lately to, when I feel those walls and those barriers to come up about something that kind of triggers me, or I don't like that scripture, I want to ignore that scripture, I don't like that word, it just seems too Christian-y. Um, I've really 
sort of have really practiced the, um, the process of going to God with that and just saying, okay, why do I have this barrier here? What is that wall for? And it's just allowed for me to realize that God is in all of it. Even the stuff that's hard for us, he brings clarity, he brings truth. And um, I think it's a real important thing for us to do when we feel those barriers because it allows for us to develop in our spiritual maturity, which is such a beautiful process to embrace and to take part in. Um, currently, we're in this season of Lent. Lent is a 40-day period of time leading up to Easter. It's this time where we create this space to um, be in prayer or to, um, I guess, in an addition to prayer, to um, intentionally fast or, or um, kind of eliminate things in our lives in order to strip away distractions and focus on Jesus in our lives. Um, the act of Lent, you know, we participate in Lent, in Lent. It aligns with the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness um, after his baptism. After his baptism, the Spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness, um, and it was a time for Jesus to spend with God and to prepare for his ministry. But during these 40 days, Jesus encounters um, the enemy who tempts Jesus to turn away from God the Father, challenges Jesus to question his own identity in God the Father, the enemy tries to tempt Jesus to use his power um, and challenges and tempts Jesus to show off how spectacular he is. Um, and Jesus was tempted to provide for himself instead of saying reliant on God the Father. Um, these temptations are very real to us. We understand what it is to be in our own seasons of wilderness, our own seasons of struggle and feeling like um, we have a lot of certain lies or temptations that um, approach us. And Jesus was so human, he put himself in that state where he was weak and he was vulnerable. But in this place of being stripped of earthly distractions, Jesus was able to focus on that union with um, God the Father rather than showing off his control and his power. Um, he really practiced humility. He stayed patient. He waited on God. And I think he exemplifies what it is to surrender to God the Father. During Lent, I think we have this intentional space, this opportunity to surrender more to God, to remove the things in our life that distract us from spiritual growth. Um, we can intentionally allow our lives to have fewer comforts in order to um, really develop in our spiritual maturity. And so this is a question that I thought was helpful for me, and it may be an encouragement to you as well, but it's the question where we go to God and say, God, where are you calling me to grow in my spiritual maturity? And I was thinking about that concept of spiritual maturity. And again, maybe that's a wall that we just don't quite get. And so I thought, well, what if we went a little deeper and we said, God, what are you calling me to surrender? I think if we focus on the things that we are trying to control in our own lives or hold on to in our own lives, and we, we go to God and we say, how are you asking me to surrender this, surrender this to your timing and to your will and to your way? I think when our hearts are postured towards surrendering to Jesus, we better understand how to live out this oneness with God and this oneness with others. Our key verse for this series um, is going to be out of Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and I want to get straight to it here. Um, I'm going to read out of the NIV version. The title in my Bible says, Unity and Maturity in the Body of Christ. That was the title for this section of Scripture. Um, this is Paul in prison in Rome, and he's writing to the churches, and he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Over the next several weeks, we're going to dig into this scripture and we're going to read it and uh, we're going to read it over and over again. But we're going to look at that scripture from different perspectives, from different angles, um, in order to just better understand how does this concept of oneness that Paul is talking about how does it relate to our everyday lives. My specific focus this week is to dig into the concept of being one body, to have oneness with Jesus and oneness with others. Um, I had a lot of inspirations after attending the women's retreat. It was a really beautiful and blessed time. I went into the retreat last weekend, and I actually, I, hadn't, I didn't know what I was going to speak about today last weekend, and so I said, God, just, you know, hit me with light, lightning and let me just have that one thing that I'm supposed to, to be able to speak about next week. And um, all week I was waiting for that specific word or specific scripture or clarity. Um, but to be honest, I was so busy having so much fun and just enjoying myself that by the end of the weekend, I was like, oh, shoot, I don't know if I was paying attention as much as I should have. I don't know if I have that one thing. Um, but then I was just going through, and I was um, appreciating the gifts that, that I received at the women's retreat. Um, and I, I think it was just a real example of, of what it is in, um, as a Jesus follower to be able to experience that oneness and community in the body of Christ, to hang out with other women who are like-minded, but even more so to be able to celebrate the beautiful parts of how we are all designed. And I felt that throughout the whole weekend, to be able to listen to this woman worship, to be able to hear this woman's story, to be able to, um, to understand this profound concept that I received from this woman, to have this late-night conversation about the process of our heart and our lives with another woman, and to be able to acknowledge that Jesus was taking his his, his beautiful life and, and, and interweaving all of us together. And it was such a gift and an understanding of what being um, in oneness as the body of Christ is supposed to feel like, where we don't feel like outsiders or insiders, we just feel as one. And the more I experience community in this way, I think I more profoundly understand that unity is not made to be conformity. If we read on in Ephesians 4 and we move on, I'm going to read a little bit out of the message version for a moment because I think it really hits what God put on my heart this week. But it reads this. It says, But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift um, or her own gift. And I love that. I love those words. I think it so, it so honors the beauty of how we are all so uniquely designed, that we're not all going to speak and act and be exactly the same. We've all been given different gifts from God. That scripture goes on to say, the text for this is, he climbed the high mountain, meaning Jesus ascended to the heavens. He captured the enemy and seized the plunder. He handed it all, all out in gifts to the people. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor-teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. The beautiful tension here, I just love it. The juxtaposition is this, that while we as the body of Christ are foundationally one in Jesus, we are not the same. Christ's generosity is so abundant that we've all been created with this unique de design and with different gifts. Unity is not a homogenous world of sameness. Our unity as the body of Christ, it more, it's more fully experienced um, as God designed when we celebrate our God-given 
differences rather than expect others to conform to our comfort zone. I was really thinking about comfort zone recently, and I realized, you know, going into that women's retreat, I was like, I don't know. I'm, as much as I like, like encouraging and sharing life with people, sometimes I can be a bit of an introvert, despite the fact that I'm up here speaking to all of you. I actually am designed as an introvert. Um, and so I was like, this is going to be out of my comfort zone. But that's the way we were designed, is to be able to step out of our comfort zone to be able to experience um, the gifts of a community. God des God's design and in, um, intention, I think, was to have a more beautiful collaboration. Um, I think we're supposed to recognize our individual limitations. Sometimes we acknowledge our limitations as things that um, maybe are embarrassing or uh, we just feel a little bit out of control if we're going to go do something that I, I'm not that good at that, so I don't know that I want to participate in that thing. And we allow our own limitations to hold us back from being one in a community sometimes. But I think the way that God has designed it is for us to participate in an interdependence with others. We're designed to interweave with one another. For me to be able to say, I don't have all of this figured out, but I get to get blessed by receiving from someone else's experiences, someone else's gifting, someone else's story. And I think that is the beauty of humility and surrendering um, what we want to hold on to, to really just engage and to be a part of this community. At the end of John's life, um, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He was given a vision, a dream from God, and he was given the assignment of writing down certain parts of this vision to really encourage our hearts about the second coming of Jesus, the time when the fulfillment of God's kingdom um, was, was made full by the return of Jesus. And um, Revelation 7, 9 through 10, I want to kind of just highlight that and actually... Um, Allison, I think, actually used this in your announcement. I was like, yes, yes, so good. Um, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This scripture, it represents a part of the culmination of God's plan. I spoke earlier about um, Paul um, really kind of digging into this unity between Jews and non-Jews. God took his relationship with one Jewish family, the family of Abraham, and said, from this family, every nation would have the opportunity to have relationship with God. God's plan was to unite all. So the scripture, it's, 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 it's relaying that, it's expressing that, it's bringing the fullness to that which is every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, together at the fulfillment of God's kingdom, praising God as one family. I think God's original design for the body of Christ involves unconditional inclusion, an unconditional inclusion. Everyone is not only invited into his family, but has been predestined for his family and has unique purpose within it. So we have to stop looking for sameness. We have to stop looking for um, our scenarios to, you know, the people that we hang out with to all look, act, talk, walk, and worship the same way that we do. We're called to have open arms and to be all-embracing. I was listening to a podcast this week. Heather Manning shared it with me. It's a, a podcast about Lent um, for spiritual leadership. And as I was listening to it, a part of the one I was listening to this week was talking about, um, they were highlighting how our human nature, we have this human nature of how we deal with our own needs. And as, 
As children, we develop these ways of meeting our own needs for survival. We develop patterns for providing for our own happiness, our safety, our security, our love, affection, power, our control. And these are all legitimate needs, right? They're all important things, and we all have our own life experiences that have informed how um, we attain these things um, in our life. But as we grow up and as we become Jesus followers and we go to God, we want, to, we want that spiritual maturity, and a part of that is taking those needs to Jesus. And if we avoid going to Jesus with our needs, what we tend to do, and we see often in our world, is that we tend to operate out of our own strength. And when we do that, we push our agenda. We find our needs to be the most urgent matter, and we become passionate about the things in our own self-serving way. I was, I was digging into passion this week, and I was like, you know, our culture really idolizes passion. People look at passion as, whoa, if you're really passionate about something, it means you really know who you are. And so we, our culture applauds that kind of passion, right? It's like we know who we are, we're passionate. And unfortunately, often our culture applauds passion even if that passion controls others, manipulates others, walks over others, demands great sacrifice from others, damages others, and takes away from others. Humanity is very messy. God's original design was that all of his creation would flourish, that all of his creation would be blessed. But again and again in, in history, humanity has established systems and structures to reward some and discriminate or disinclude others. But God wants an unconditional inclusion. Rather than aligning with God's original design to bless all, humanity has found ways to divide and destroy what was made to be this great oneness. So what if spiritual maturity involved a passion that looks more like reconciliation? What if we redefined passion to look more like reconciliation? Reconciliation's a big word. Sven threw it at me this week, and so I had to really study it a little bit. Um, but in simplest of terms, reconciliation is a restoration of what was damaged and what was broken. Jesus taught us, Jesus was the mighty teacher of reconciliation. Jesus gave us oneness with God where we originally were separated from God by our sin. So now, um, so how do we live out this reconciliation? How do we do that in our lives today? Um, what if we started by asking for forgiveness? What if we acknowledged where we ourselves have participated um, in dividing God's kingdom? What if we were to look and say, how was I a participating, how was I a participant um, in creating that insider-outsider um, community rather than acknowledging that, man, I could have really done a better job of creating this, uni this unity and this oneness as a community of God? What if we ask for forgiveness in those areas of our lives where, um, where we could have been a part of that process? What if we were passionate about honoring all of God's creation and seeking out a life of humility and gentleness and repentance? The act of repentance, of confession of our wrongs, receiving God's forgiveness and participating in God's restoration. What if we invited others into this grace by being patient, by listening, encouraging, by collaborating, by learning, trusting in God rather than our own will? What if our great passion was to surrender all to Jesus? We're going to go back into Ephesians 4. Um, I just think this is, uh, this is sort of where Ephesians is taking us, right? 
Um, so as we grow in this spiritual maturity of understanding um, the restoration that God gives us, it says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there and by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That is the body of Christ, built up in love, woven together in unison with Jesus as our lead. I've been, um, I've been re-listening to one of my uh, favorite books. It's um, called Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldridge. Um, I have it on Audible in my car. I do a lot of driving back and forth to work, and so I love listening to something. Um, but I had, I've been revisiting that book. That book highlights the humanity of Jesus. It celebrates the life of, of Jesus. Um, I think it's easy to think of Jesus as God, but sometimes we forget that he lived out the exact kind of humanity that we are walking right now on earth. He understands it. And in that book, it really goes into the specific life and stories of Jesus, and it helps to just draw out, draw our attention towards the humanity of Jesus. Um, the, life, uh, the life of Jesus is so beautiful when we remember how human he was. I think it helps us to realize that he gets us. He gets what, what we're trying to do here on earth, to be one with the Father, but walk on this earth. I think I was thinking about the different elements of Jesus' humanity. And I was, I was kind of just writing down these things, that Jesus knows laughter, heartache, pain, suffering, joy, betrayal. Jesus knows what it is to sit around a fire and to share stories with our friends and enjoy and, um, you know, food around the fire together. Jesus knows what it is to have one of our loved ones die. Jesus knows sickness. Jesus knows what loneliness feels like. Jesus knows what needing quiet time to just get away from it all feels like. Jesus knows what popularity feels like. He also knows what isolation, rejection, and being bullied feels like. Jesus understands what a sincere embrace is like, and he also knows what a loving kiss is meant to be. Jesus identified and recognized with the human experience of connection and family and friendship. Jesus knows muscle cramping. He knows what a muscle cramp is. He knows what blisters on his toes. Jesus knows what it is to pass gas. I mean, that's a weird thing to think about, but Jesus digested his food just as we did. Jesus understands hunger and thirst and exhaustion and the need to just take a nap, right? Jesus experienced anger. He had moments of outrage. He responded to injustice that surrounded him. Jesus knows the pain of being hurt by religion. Jesus knows what a corrupt government does to the people that it rules, and he understands how power can be used to disempower others. Jesus knows what studying is. He studied people. He studied the word of God. He learned how to use his voice um, as God called him to, to do, and he matured and learned how to be gentle like a dove, but as cunning as a snake. Jesus understood what spiritual warfare as a human is like, and Jesus knows what it's like to want to belong. Jesus saw people, he saw children, he saw the unseen, he saw the hurting and the unacceptable and the overlooked. Jesus knows life, and Jesus knows death. Jesus knows this humanity because Jesus took on the physical body. He lived in fullness, holding nothing back, love beyond our understanding, and then in humility, he did not fight back when his body was beaten, broken, and tortured on a cross. 
His physical body and life was sacrificed for the very people that he loved. Jesus surrendered it all for you and me. One of Jesus' um, prayers um, in John 17, 22 through 23, it's a prayer for us. It's a prayer for all believers. And it says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the, word, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I woke up Saturday morning. Was that yesterday? Yes. I woke up yesterday morning, and I had already kind of put together the content for my message, but I felt like Jesus said, I want you to, I want you to say this. I want you to share this. I wasn't even thinking about the message. I literally opened my eyes, and I just felt like God wanted me to share this. God, I felt like Jesus said, remind them that I gave them glory to shine so that I will shine to the world. I think it's hard to understand this concept of glory, that he gave us a glory that we were not deserving of. And I was specifically, I felt like Jesus specifically wanted me to highlight our testimony with God, our testimony with Jesus. It's funny, sometimes we view our story with God or our testimony of how we came to know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we'll look at it and maybe we think it's boring. Maybe we think it's um, not, not like good enough to actually share. Sometimes we'll think of that testimony or that story as um, embarrassing or maybe shameful. Um, but I just really felt like Jesus wanted to remind all of us this morning that those stories, that testimony that Jesus gave us, um, it's meant to be shared so that Jesus can shine. And, um, and so we don't deserve glory. God deserves all the glory, but Jesus says here he gave us that glory so that we can be one with the Father. Um, believing that our testimony matters, taking the time maybe even to, in quiet, to write down our testimony, to write down our story with God, I think that's so honoring of what he has given us. But taking the time to believe that that story matters, I think it recognizes that that story isn't just our story. It's actually God's story. And if we share those stories, it's kind of like celebrating the glory that God gave us. And in doing that and sharing that, we get to be a light for him so that then we give that glory back to God and we get to celebrate his rescue plan. That surrender and that gratitude Wow, that's where I think we get to be so faithful in our participation, in our oneness as a body of Christ. I'd like to invite the worship band to come back up. Um, today we're going to take Eucharist together, um, also known as communion or the Lord's Supper. Um, communion is a practical way to remember our union, our oneness with God. When we take the cracker or the bread, it represents the body of Christ. Um, it represents the body of Christ broken for us. And when we take the juice, also known as the fruit of the vine, it represents the blood of Jesus given at the cross for our sins that once separated us from God. When we take communion, we remember that through Jesus we are gifted with this eternal unity with God, no longer separated but reconciled. So, as Jesus said, um, Jesus invites us to take this, take this communion in remembrance of me. The juice and the cracker are here up front. We've got two stations, one on each side. So, um, all who want this unity with Jesus are invited. And sometimes there's something really um, important and special about having our own intimate moments with God. And so, um, 
I just think this is a, an opportunity to dive into those elements of surrender that he might be like highlighting for you this morning and diving into um, that heart of gratitude of being like, you've given me my story, you've given me my life, and, and to just reunite with him um, in remembrance of what he has done for us. Um, and so feel free during worship to come and get your communion and go back to your seat and talk to Jesus. Have your own little moment of being able to surrender and give thanks for what he has given us in our life. I'm just going to close with prayer, and then we'll enter into that time of communion and worship. Jesus, thank you so much for your heart over us this morning. Lord, we know that life is busy, and it is chaotic, and it, is, it feels like sometimes the, the to-dos own us, Jesus. But today, in this time, Lord, we want to surrender the busyness to you. We want to surrender the distractions to you. Lord, we ask that you, Father, would guide our hearts, that you would encourage us in the areas of our walk and our journey, Jesus, where we desperately need that encouragement, and that you would remind us, Lord, of the glory and the gifts that you've given us to not only celebrate within our own lives and our own walk with you, Lord, but the beauty of what you've given us to be able to be shared as a part of the body of Christ, a part of your family, God. We thank you for this time. We receive your holy communion, Lord. And we give thanks to you. In Jesus' name I pray.